Hi, my name is Hillary and this is Women In, a blog about women making strides in their fields and in the world. On the Women In website, I post transcriptions of interviews with women who have amazing and interesting jobs. I've had artists, trauma surgeons, NASA engineers, and so many more wonderful people on the blog. But reading interviews can be time consuming. I want you to learn about women doing groundbreaking work wherever you go, whether you're working out, driving in your car, or doing laundry. So I'm launching the Women In Podcast. Every other Monday, you can catch a brand new podcast episode at 12 o'clock EST on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. On the first episode of Women In, we have Kiara, the academic. Kiara Vega Bolito is a graduate student at Baylor College of Medicine working towards a PhD in neuroscience. As a graduate student, Kiara is relentlessly working on her thesis on how neuroplasticity, the ability of the brain to reorganize synaptic connections, is tied to contextual fear memory acquisition, as well as mnemonic processes such as retrieval of memories and the consolidation of memories through sleep. When she's not working on her thesis, Kiara posts about science, science policy advocacy, and mental health awareness on her Instagram, Curiously Righteous. What would you say is your, like, industry, so to speak? Yeah. I thought that was a very interesting question or a way to phrase it. Um, I would say I'm in the industry of academic research, given that I'm a fourth-year neuroscience PhD student. Mm-hmm. I like to think of myself as a neuroscientist in training. So I'd say that I'm in the academic research industry. Awesome. All right. So what does an average day of work look like for you? I wanted to kind of prelude uh, my answer with the fact that neuroscience is so broad and there are so many levels that you can study the nervous system at Mm -hmm. that uh, I would say that not any graduate student has the same experience. I mean, work-wise, like they wouldn't have the same average day work. For example, um, there are whole brain imaging studies that work with that data only, theoretical Mm -hmm. computational neuroscience that works with neural networks and models. Mm -hmm. There's cellular molecular that work at more of the molecular pathways of uh, cellular function. And there's systems neuroscience, which is my lab. So my lab um, focuses on studying the nervous system at the level of circuits. So a circuit here is defined as an ensemble of neurons that process a specific type of information. So in this case, we're interested in neural circuits that underlie cognitive processes that lead to memory and learning. So we're interested in the neural circuits that underlie learning and memory, basically. Mm -hmm. And we focus mainly on this region, this subcortical region of the brain called the hippocampus, which is a region that is highly implicated in episodic memory and also spatial navigation. And because we know that the neural circuits of the hippocampus have so much to do with the cognitive process of learning and uh, memory acquisition and storage and reconsolidation, 
we chose to study the hippocampus mainly. Um, so an average day of work for me involves uh, actually building uh, micro drives. And I'm gonna show you a little bit of what I'm talking about right now. So one of uh, the main technique in our lab is called microdrive tetric recordings. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool technique because through this apparatus that we actually build in the lab, we are able to mechanically lower tetrodes, which are four electrodes twisted into one, which means just four channel resolution, right? Mm -hmm. um, into the area of the brain that we're interested in. And we build, build these and then implant them on the animal in a survival surgery. So, you know, they have it stuck in their head, but we can target the area that we're interested in and kind of wiretap the um, neuronal cell, the cell firing that's going on, um, single unit and multi-unit. So we can wiretap the conversations that the neural circuits that we're interested in are having. And these are the neural circuits that are processing the information that we care about. So in a sense, we're trying to translate the neural code into kind of a, uh, an understandable me mechanism for how the animal behaves. So in this case, uh, a day, a day, a normal, an average day would be, I would spend a lot of time crafting one of these microdrive tetra tetra uh, builds. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would then also spend time running behavioral experiments and recording at the same time. So the cool thing about this technique is that even though, you know, it involves surgery and the animal has to recover for a little while, the animal can freely move and we can, we can capture the activity patterns in the region of interest while the animal is going about their day, learning, going through the tasks, uh, you know, uh, um, going through memory formation, memory retrieval, all that. So we have neuronal data to correlate to that type of behavior, which is really cool. So that's just like half of my day. The rest of my day is actually spent in literature review. So there's a lot to read. <laughs> Uh, and when I say literature review, it's mostly like reading papers, catching up, and also um, writing on my thesis. Mm -hmm. um, the other big chunk of time uh, in my, my week, actually, is when I have enough data to data analyze. So we use this MATLAB program that my PI actually, actually made to in order to analyze the neural data that we got from the recordings and in a nutshell that would be kind of what my day would be like full it varies depending on like you know if i have an animal implanted if i don't uh, you know if i have data or not but right that's basically what i do yeah i mean it sounds really interesting yeah, kind of difficult to be succinct about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, 
Yeah, that's true. I am. I will try with the first grader question to be succinct, though. What's the best part of being a neuro? Would you call it neuroscience or? Yeah. The, yeah. Um, well, I'm a neuroscience. I'm a graduate student, mm -hmm. right? In the neuroscience department. The best part definitely would be the environment of academia because it's a bubble. It's a bubble of very highly intelligent, highly capable, and honestly, at least at Baylor College of Medicine where I study, the people are really open. So having an exchange of ideas is really easy and it's very engaging to talk to the people there um, and to make friends. Um, the other thing that I really love about my job is that I had not done electrophysiology techniques uh, like the ones that we do in my lab uh, until I came to Baylor and learning those techniques for me has been very challenging but very rewarding mm -hmm. so like that really kind of like gets me enthusiastic about the work that I'm doing um, so I would say that you know, just learning the people around me. Uh, I got lucky with my lab too. They're fantastic. They're really great colleagues. They're very collaborative. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say those has those things have been the best part of my job so far. Yeah. And uh, what's the most frustrating part for you? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I was thinking, <laughs> um, and I actually had trouble kind of coming up with a way to express it. As much as I enjoy the environment of academia, there is a certain etiquette and also expectation for you to specialize and specialize and specialize as, as you go along, right? And for me, that just kind of stunts my enthusiasm because I, I want to be able to kind of have my hands in everything. Right. Since neuroscience is so broad and everything, but um, er, there's always a push towards specialization. And like I end, ended up, you know, I love my project, but I end up being in a hate-love relationship with it because it's the only thing I can read about. It's the only thing I can think about, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of like limiting in that sense, a, a little bit limiting. Mm -hmm. um the other thing is it's just it's not for it really isn't for everyone the academic lifestyle i like i believe that i won't be i won't continue a, uh, a career in academia but uh it can be really really tough on your mental health um especially for somebody like me who already struggles with a diagnosis of depression and bipolar um it has been like a struggle to really um you know when you when you get down when you get stuck when you get when you get have like your experiments are failing you have to be very comfortable with it and you have to find ways to cope with it so mm -hmm. i guess those are the most frustrating things yeah i mean those are very valid uh, critiques of academia. So uh, what originally drew you to neuroscience and academia? Yeah, that was actually, I've been, 
my plan to do a PhD in neuroscience, I decided when I was in 11th grade. Um, my first interest in neuroscience came in sixth grade, but I didn't know anything about research until I went to this high school that thankfully they had this neuroscience um, fair and it was held by this lab. So they brought equipment and you know, very simple equipment just to show us a little bit, a, a taste of what research in neuroscience would entail. And I was hooked. I was immediately, I was like, there's just nothing I'd rather, I'd rather do. So since then, like I've been grooming myself. Like I went to a pre-college undergrad, uh, pre-college research program. I went to, I, I did research all over my, all, all during my undergrad. I went to internships every summer. Mm -hmm. So like it just, once I knew that that was what I, what I, I wanted to do and it became kind of like a dream, like I really wanted to achieve it. Mm -hmm. um, it drew me to that, but you know, what really draws me to it is just the fact that it's so endlessly fascinating because it's so complex and also, and this is a little bit platitudinous, but the fact that we're using nervous systems to understand nervous systems. And uh, I've always thought that knowledge, uh, humans seek knowledge in order to manipulate things. Mm -hmm. And I feel that having, uh, you know, in my head, I felt like a PhD in neuroscience would give me all the knowledge of the nervous system in order for me to be able to manipulate it to my, you know, to my whim, mm -hmm. kind of. Um, so, you know, th those were my ideas when I was younger, but um, once you, you start getting research experience, you, 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 you get to see kind of what it was. And I, I just loved it. I still loved it. I wanted to keep doing it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So um, how would you explain what you do to uh, a sixth grader, not a first grader? A like first grader. Yeah. First graders know what brains are. Good. So I can start there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I would start by explaining. So in your brain, you have these units called neurons. They're in constant conversation with each other. They're in constant communication. They're talking to each other all the time. And they're telling each other information about what's what you're thinking, about what you're going to do, about when you are gonna lift your hand or when you have to pay attention to study. And what I do is that we gain access to those conversations and we get to try to listen to the neurons uh, speaking and what type of information they're conveying that leads to the action that eventually like you'll do for example like if there's a, co a collection of neurons that are gonna tell you to raise your hand at a certain point we can listen to those to those conversations that those neurons are having about raising your hand 
and kind of form uh, an idea of a of a, a, a mechanism for how I wouldn't say mechanism, damn it, but as a mechanism for how uh, those those neurons in your brain actually control what you're doing. So that's how I would try to explain it to a first grader. It's still a little bit like rough, but. <laughs> Neuroscience is kind of a whole like. It's a ball of well, can of worms, always. Yeah, real can of worms. <laughs> you experience sexism in academia? You know, I've been the luckiest. I've been really lucky in that respect because, you know, at least not consciously, and I'm very, I'm very wary of that. At least not consciously, I have, I haven't experienced sexism. I have had um, communicate. Uh, communicated with people who um, who I can see that they treat me a little bit different they talk to me a little bit different because I'm a woman but it has never hindered my progress it has never hindered my career you know like it was just like an exchange out like a social exchange mm -hmm. and like you can tell but um, as far as like my career thankfully I haven't had any of those experiences, but I do know people that have, and like, I know that it exists. So, but I know that I've been fortunate. Yeah. Do you feel that women are well represented in neuroscience and academia in general? <sighs> no, <laughs> I was actually reading about that. Um, it turns out that 30% of the STEM research force is women, which is not great um or you know it's just like the clear minority yeah and um at least in neuroscience i know that my program tries to make an effort to really be um uh, achieve equity mm -hmm. in that respect which i you know like i really had to gr give props to my my program because I, I also know that the reason why I haven't had it, those experiences are because of the people there and also because of the values that they seem to share, you know, most of the people seem to share there. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, definitely not equal at all. And especially in the theoretical computational neuroscience field, not at all. Um, and even electrophysiology, um, you know, there are some uh, kind of like molecular, uh, cellular neuroscience where you see there's more women, but like overall now in neuroscience. And then in STEM, it's, it's still, the gap is pretty big. Yeah. How has COVID-19 affected your work in, as a PhD student? It has been uh more than a setback for me actually one because during the shutdown i had just come back from a leave of absence um so when the shutdown like i came back 
and the shutdown occurred. So I could not run any of my experience, experiments. So at least for me, that was a huge setback. And given that setback and the accumulation of the circumstances that we weren't gonna go back to normal, I had to minimize the scope of my project, yeah. of my thesis project. So I had to, um, it was gonna be, I mean, I, I honestly thought, you know, the version of the project that I presented to my committee initially was really exciting and involved some new technology up to genetics and everything. But now I had to eliminate a lot of that from my project because my priority is still to graduate and I need, I need to hit the um, graduate student milestones. So I had to minimize the scope of my project considerably. So COVID hasn't been um, propitious at all, <laughs> or I mean, not for anybody, but but it has been like way more detrimental than than i guess maybe for for some other people so when you were growing up did you have any role models in your science that you looked up to actually no no i didn't um so when I, the first person i can remember really looking up to was um it was a guy from a TED talk that was talking about deep brain stimulation. Um, I'm really trying to remember his name because the TED talk is actually very, very old. Uh, he's like Brian Tejanos or something, but I would say that he was the first person that, that his work brought me to tears, you know, like, even though like I had always been interested in neuroscience and I've met um, in my internships, I've met really, really great neuroscientists, but I never felt um, uh, that kind of connection or role model or um, that, that I, I, I think is, is what you want me to describe. But for sure, that guy, and also Stuart Firestein, he has another TED talk called The Pursuit of Ignorance. And those two guys are, are like the first two neuroscientists that I really, really looked up to. And I was like, wow, if I can, you know, get to where they are, that would be wonderful. <laughs> that would be the dream. Yeah, that sounds, those two people sound really amazing. But um, it seems to, both of them were both men. You didn't really- I know, I know, yeah. I know. So Sorry. any women role models that you looked up to? Was that even a thing that you knew about? Yeah, um, I mean, I can tell you women role models that weren't in, in neuroscience that I really looked up to. Um, I really looked up to my grandmother. She was uh, one of the most hardworking per people I've ever met. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that I always take with me. Um, you know, whenever I'm, I'm feeling like I need a boost, um, I remember her. 
um she was an extraordinary woman um but you know she wasn't a neuroscientist i also look up to my uh cousin she's a um she actually just graduated from um a university of oregon with a phd in nutrition and epidemiology so she's sort of a, a more like a of an academic academician um so i would say i would look i looked up to her as well and also i completely forgot my mother my mother actually got her phd in psychology that's really cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> who knows is maybe that's it warmed itself into my brain you know something no no um we um i really look up to her um and again it's mo mostly like their work ethic and also the type of people that they are um mm. but for you know i i i i, I wish i had had um a, a female neuroscientist that did work that really inspired me during my undergrad but the thing is that in my undergrad um we didn't have neuroscience uh work so i actually did bioinformatics research and uh cell uh, biomaterials research so, and i only got to do neuroscience research during my internships mm -hmm. and all of my mentors were men except for the last one which ended up not being neuroscience uh, project after all and she was very hands-off, so I couldn't really connect with her. So it's just been my experience. It's a little sad. But right now I do have, uh, I do look up to a lot of women role models in BCM, at least now. What what drew you to posting on Instagram? Because I, I saw your uh, profile. It looks really, I love the illustrations. They're really cool. Oh, the infographics? Yeah. Dude, I wish... I wish I could take credit for all of them because I've been learning how to do the infographics myself. You know, you just use Canva or any other uh, software to do that. But um, what drew me to it actually was that um, I wasn't used to using social media as uh, a way to make science more visible or as a way to communicate science, which was weird because I've always been interested in science communication. It just hadn't clicked in my head. And then one day I did a poll, hey, would you be interested if I actually posted more scientific content or more informative content, educational content? And everybody said yes. And that, uh, that's just kind of how it, it went. And after that, like, I want to go back because I learned so many things. I follow so many amazing initiatives and a lot of them are nonprofits that are looking to educate the public and to increase scientific literacy, mm -hmm. um, which is something that I'm really, I'm, um, I'm really in favor of, especially now with the election coming and everything. So uh, what advice would you give to young women and girls who are interested in going into neuroscience? Mm. Well, I think, I don't know, in my head, neuroscience is already so 
inherently alluring and appealing just because it it's and endlessly complex well not endlessly complex sure there's a finite uh, limit to it but it's like uh per perpetually fascinating you know you just get more uh, all the questions that you that you can answer with neuroscience or so just mind-blowing or at least for me that that was my experience for girls who are interested who might be interested um you have have to make sure that you're prepared to really you have to be prepared kind of for anything and you have to be uh, open-minded when you're going into neuroscience because i feel that a lot of people go with an idea of how neuroscience should be or how neuroscience research should be and then they get disappointed and end up dropping out but i feel that if you keep an open mind you do really well a uh, good good undergraduate research definitely get get research experience before applying to a graduate program you need to get that experience to know for sure if neuroscience is for you um read up on it i read tons of books uh on neuroscience mm -hmm. uh, and they actually you know help you come up with ideas or think about the research that you might be interested in so really kind of you have to be prepare yourself uh, if you really want to thrive and also keep an open mind always never be afraid to ask for help always persevere and always keep in mind that everybody's trajectory is unique i can't stress this in, that enough because a lot of you know they say that comparison is the thief of joy it's very true and especially when for example, you're fighting for a spot at a top university, you're only thinking about how you compare yourself to others. But you have to think of it as this is just part of your journey into getting to getting what you want. It's unique for everybody. And it's gonna be unique also for you. So that would be the advice I would give to girls interested in neuroscience or in science of any any kind. Be prepared, open-minded, persevere, ask for help, and always remember that your journey is unique. That's awesome advice. Um, and my last question is, how would you like your career to progress in the future? Um, God, you know, I, it's just that I remember being in 11th grade and thinking, wow, I figured my life out. I'm just gonna do neuroscience research for the rest of my life. It took me one year and it took me one year of grad school to know that academia is not for me. <laughs> um, so changing plans, I obviously have explored my options. Um, uh, it, it's important also to uh, 
being a program that allows you to explore career options because a lot of people who think that they want to do the, the career uh, academic career track end up not wanting to. Mm -hmm. So I've had the privilege to be able to explore my options and I find science communication and science advocate advocacy really fulfilling. Um, like I've, um, I'm actually involved in a lot of extracurricular organizations that allow me to do outreach and allow me to write about topics that I want to write about, about neuroscience or about mental health, which is, you know, close to home. Mm -hmm. um, and allow me to kind of, you know, communicate, you know, do science communication. And also I'm learning how to be a more active advocate uh, because it actually takes a lot, kind of like a training in, if you really want to get into science policy. So right now, my goal is to hone my skill set for that. Mm -hmm. And if everything, like if for some reason, um, uh, you know, it doesn't work out for me, my plan B really is a clinical uh, counselor because um, I would really love to be able to put my experience and my knowledge to service of, to the service of people in need who have gone through things that I've gone through and also worse things or you know whatever they've gone through. Mm -hmm. in order to, you know, really try to help them. And that would be, you know, I have a plan B, but right now I'm focusing on science policy. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm glad you have a pretty clear mind as to what your future entails. Yeah, it took a while. <laughs> it, it was confusing. <laughs> Because once you don't, you know that you don't want to do academia anymore, it's like, well, I'm only being trained as an academic, academician, academician, like, what am I going to do? So you kind of have to find different avenues to get where you want to go. Thank you so much for listening to the very first episode of Women In. If you enjoyed this interview, feel free to follow the podcast on Spotify or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to learn about amazing women, the present, and the past, you can go to womeninblog.com and sign up for the free newsletter.